Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar the Whale. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, Dr. Andrew Michaels tells the story of the first shadow person he encountered on his own. Now that he knows of their existence, his view of the world and the creatures in it has changed. So when gossip in an area claims there is a vampire problem, there seems to be no end to the actual possibilities. What is attacking the small town? And why has it started now? Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to my stories of the paranormal and the mysteries that I've encountered in my travels. My name is Dr. Andrew Michaels, and I am here to help you. And one of the first things I can do to help all of you is to educate you, teach you, tell you the stories that I know, and spread the knowledge that I have about the world around us and some of the dangers that lie within it. It was soon after my last adventure where I hunted down an old friend and had him explain to me about the shadow people that lived among us, the shadow people that lived deep in subterranean dark areas of the world, that I came across my very first shadow person on my own. I had heard reports that there were a string of murders in a small town south of Youngstown, Ohio, a town called North Lima, Ohio, a real small, insignificant place, one red light, famous for its high school and its football team more than anything else. But it did have a burgeoning industry that most people probably didn't know about, and that was coal extraction. The coal seams near North Lima and in North Lima were close to the surface of the ground. They were literally lying almost on top of the earth itself. You only had to scrape down a little bit to get to the high-yield coal seams that covered the area. And it was well worth digging through that ground to get all of that precious resource up and out of the ground. And companies made a lot of money digging the coal from those seams. But it seems, segueing, that there was something else hiding in the ground that they dug up. An evil, quite ancient, something from our recent Paleolithic past. Whatever it was, it had a penchant for human and dog blood. Many animals were found drained of their blood, and it had moved on to human beings. 
They thought they had a vampire in the area, or somebody pretending to be a vampire. It didn't eat flesh, it mainly just sucked the blood from a corpse. Leaving them dry, they died from blood loss, yet there was no blood loss around the body when it was discovered. Of course, the body could have been drained of blood and then placed in another area. But in many of the attacks, it was clear that whoever attacked the human beings and the dogs fought back in the area where the blood extraction took place. Footprints, other evidence, proved that the attacks were where the blood extraction took place. So whatever it was, it literally sucked you dry and you died your heart giving out from exhaustion and not having any blood left to circulate through the body it was quite troubling and the police and the authorities as usual were at a loss to figure out what to do and where to look and where to start some people thought it was the mothman from nearby West Virginia, a fanged flying creature that looked like a man with huge owl wings, and they called him the Mothman, and he terrorized an area not far from North Lima, at least as the crow flies. But this was not the case. In this situation, it was very clear to me and my department that it was not the Mothman or a return of the Mothman. No, he was a more of a vagrant creature. He wasn't even in the area when all this happened. The Mothman always travels. So why would he come back to northeast Ohio and spook an area so close to where he had already struck so many years before? That wasn't like him. It wasn't his M.O. Modus, modus operandus. So, where were we left with? We had some activity. We had people getting attacked that were alone. Dogs that were alone. Dogs that were chained up outside their homes. It seemed like this community was stuck in time where it was still okay to chain a beautiful man's best friend to a tree in the backyard and just let him bark all day. And the creature easily found these dogs tied to their posts, tied to their dog runs, and made a feast of them. We thought about setting up some traps, but we didn't know how the creature killed, so we couldn't risk one of our own agents or a police officer. The next best thing was, you guessed it, we tied some dogs in various places near a wooded area, and we staked it out. We had cameras hooked up. We had men ready. We had high-powered rifles and sharpshooters and policemen with hunting rifles all around. And if something came up and approached one of these dogs tied to a tree, barking and barking, then we would have our first look at what this creature was. The thing about paranormal creatures are they don't just respond to your whims. We set up these traps and nothing happened. It was like the creature just went away. Did it sense us? Did it realize these were traps? Or was it hibernating? It had 
feasted long enough. We went back and checked the pattern of the attacks, and we realized that we were staking out these areas during a full moon. Now, most people don't know this, or don't think about it, but the moon is reflecting sunlight. So on a bright new moon, or a full moon, night, there is a lot of light out there at night, and it's sunlight, reflected, bounced off the moon, and hitting the surface of the planet. This creature obviously was nocturnal, and the light from the moon must have been discouraging it from coming out. So I said, why don't we just wait until the new moon, when the moon is dark, the sky is as black as it can possibly be, maybe we'll have more luck then. So we reconvened and tried it when the moon was waning in the quarter position we started. We started to have some success right away, but not with our own traps, with a house nearby. A lady who lived alone let her dog out to use the facilities, the bathroom, before she went to bed. Something in the dark attacked her dog and killed it almost instantly. She turned on the floodlight in her backyard and got a glimpse of some black, shadowy figure dropping the animal and running into the woods. She said it was tall, thin, strange-looking, but very humanoid. She didn't get much of a look, silhouetted against the dog and the floodlight that was hitting it, but it did have hands and it stood like a man. At least we knew that much. The dog that it chose as its victim was very small, about a 20-pound dog, so we figured if it was hungry and it was interrupted and the dog still had plenty of blood left inside its body, it was probably not satiated. It probably hadn't cured its hunger. So there was a real good chance it would attack the night before or the night after. We doubled our traps, doubled our manpower, and set up police and cars all along and around the area we suspected. And also during the day, we did some searching um, in groups of four to five men each. We searched the area with no luck and didn't really find anything. I did notice on the map, though, that it seemed like the creature was hiding in an area that human beings really don't go to. A strip mine. If you don't know what a strip mine is now in the 21st century, in the late 20th century, it, when they found coal deposits very close to the surface of the earth, instead of digging a mine shaft down, they just got big earth movers and literally scraped the rock and the soil and the ground on top of the coal seams out of the way. And then they dug up the coal. Now, they might have to go down maybe 40, 50, 100 feet to get the coal, but it was easier, quicker, and much more economical to just strip the ground back and then dig up the coal, literally laying on the ground right before them. Now, this did cause a lot of 
ecological damage to the environment and um, poisoned a lot of the water in the area. So it wasn't without, uh, it wasn't something you just did willy-nilly. You had to get permits, you had to get, you had to limit the digging area, and you had to check groundwater everywhere to make sure you weren't destroying people's wells. And a lot of people relied on wells in this area. I thought maybe there's no caves, there's no mines in a strip mine. But there are a lot of gullies, a lot of little valleys. You know, they create a whole landscape, almost like a miniature moon surface with no fauna on it, no grass, no trees. It's just bare rock piled up in mounds all over the place. You know, they throw the sandstone and the limestone and all the rock that and dirt that covers the coal into these piles all around the uh, the coal the coal mine and it creates all these little tiny nooks and crannies where something might be hiding out well we were only looking in the woods maybe the creature is hiding inside somewhere in the coal mine so we said the next day we would do that we would search the coal mine that night our patience and our resources and all deployed perfectly totally paid off to make a long story short some men were watching a dog that was a very large dog he was a pit bull mix he was actually a really good dog but he had a little tiny trick that he could do and that was he would bark whenever he heard a squeak toy he was trained so the officer would sit back away from him in a distance and squeak this toy and the dog would bark well having a dog that would not just sit around and pout but bark on command was hopefully going to lure the creature in and believe it or not it did around 11 o'clock at night around the same time the lady let her dog out for the night they squeaked the toy the dog started barking. The officer said to his partner sitting there watching, armed and scoping in the dog's position with his rifle, he said, see, I can squeak that toy and the dog barks on command and he squeaked it again. Suddenly they realized they were not alone. Something was standing in their midst. They were immediately attacked, but these weren't innocent victims in their backyards feeding their dogs or taking a stroll with a girl or a boyfriend. These were armed and trained officers of the law. They managed to pull their sidearms and immediately fought back. Several shots were fired. One of the officers even shot his partner in the foot. Many officers ran to the area. It was over as quickly as it began. Whatever it was, they never got a good look at it. They never saw it. The only thing they know is it grabbed one of them from behind, tried to pick them up off the ground. They turned around and immediately gave fire and attack to it, and the creature let go and ran away. They really didn't get a look at it in the dark. We searched the area. We fanned out. We brought in cars, lights, even a helicopter. Nothing. We couldn't find anything. But I said, if you look, I, I laid a map out on the hood of one of the sheriff's cars. 
and I took a pen and I said, if you start looking at these attacks, I think we think that whatever it is is coming in through the wooded area. If you draw a straight line back, they all seem to intersect back into that coal mine where they're starting to dig those new seams up. We need to go in there first thing in the morning. So we decided we would do just that. And in the morning, I got myself suited up, armed myself to the teeth, and I had some surprises up my sleeve. My friend had told me that these things hide in the ground. So I thought, maybe it's possible we can detect it with a metal detector or a ground sonar or something. So I procured some equipment, and I had several men searching the ground in the coal area. Now, they were just walking along the, the, the rubble that was dug up from the coal mine, and we didn't really know where to look. So they were picking up all kinds of mixed signals with the metal detectors and the ground penetrating sonar was just kind of not really able to work well because the ground was uneven and rocky. Like I said, it's almost like a lunar landscape devoid of life, gray rock, shadows just kind of play funny in these kind of areas. And even though there's no caves around per se, caves, because the ground is all loose and the rock is all just piled up rubble on top of rubble on top of um, dirt and other soil, whenever there's a good strong rain, rivulets grow in the sides of the hills and form their own water channels. And erosion takes place and rocks fall. And it's quite an alien atmosphere to be in. It's almost like being in the middle of a war zone. I had an idea. If there is some creature hiding somewhere, maybe it's coming out of the seam of the coal. And they said, well, first of all, you're insane. This is like, you're, you're acting like it's a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch or some, you know, dinosaur that crawled out of the fossils. And I said, well, it wouldn't be a dinosaur. The, the, the land here isn't that old, and the coal isn't that old. This is newer deposits. So, and I don't think it's a dinosaur, but it might be some kind of creature that was somehow trapped in the swamps and buried in these coal seams. We, we aren't looking necessarily for a cave, but we should be looking sideways into the coal seams themselves where the men are digging. Maybe we can see some kind of entrance, some kind of hole, some kind of divot in the actual seam itself. We searched and searched and really didn't find anything, but near the end of the day when it started getting dark in a shadowy area of the coal seam, one of the miners asked us if this was what we were looking for, and he took us around to the side of a hill, well, a cutout area, and he said, see how there's a gap in the coal seam, and it seems like it goes back quite a ways. We shine a flashlight down in it, and it looked like maybe it triangu triangulated maybe 15, 20 feet deep into the side of this coal seam. And I said, well, that's kind of what we're looking for. What we need is a long rod or a stick or something. And they had a stick that when they sometimes dynamite in the area, 
they pack the dynamite into a drilled hole in the coal seam. So what they do is, you know, they, they, they drill a hole and then they place some explosive in the hole and then they pack it, you know, push it down in the hole and make sure that it's deep and they get a good blast radius in the side of a hill. So they produced a long rod and we kind of, with a light on it, inspected the area. You couldn't quite crawl into it. It wasn't high and wide enough for a human to get into. And the whole area was dug out. So it was not absolutely not safe for somebody to even stick their head in there. With all the rubble above could just give way. But I said, this is kind of what we're looking for. Do you see these kind of divots before? And they said, yes. We've seen these kind of bubbles or holes in this coal seam. It's kind of strange. And they said, you know, now that you're bringing it up, I kind of remember seeing one. When we broke it, it was like a dome. And that was right around the time this started. And it, it, it was almost like a glass dome, like a black onyx glass. And they took us over to an area where we found some pieces from this bubble that they had dug into earlier. And they totally destroyed that part of the coal seam. So, what we had was just some pieces that looked like black onyx glass. And I said, I wonder if this was some kind of tomb, or some kind of carapace, or cocoon for a creature. And we snapped it open. Everybody was looking at me like I was very strange, very odd. Like, why would you even make that kind of assumption? I said, well, if the creature was like in a cocoon, or some kind of transformational... um protective covering and then it fell in a swamp maybe it got buried maybe the cocoon protected it now that we've broken open that cocoon the creature has come out and now it's feeding it is possible i mean we've all heard the stories of frogs and other small animals jumping out of coal seams when they crack open a rock most of them have been disproven as hoax but you never know Right around that time, it was getting dark enough that it was almost night, at least on the side of the hill we were on. I actually stood up from the glass pieces that I had in my hand and went to toss one of them, a, a, a bigger piece. I was just going to keep a couple smaller ones to put inside a plastic bag and to take back for, uh, in, you know, um, to uh, evaluate them. And I saw something climbing out of that hole we were inspecting earlier. And I remember clearly, I had three miners with me and a couple of police officers and one of my agents with me. And I'm standing there and about 150 feet away on the other side of the dugout, the, the, the canyon that was dug out, on the side of a <laughs> strip mine hill, Something was crawling out of that hole and up the side of the, the hill. And I'm shocked even thinking about it today. It had a humanoid-ish body, eight arms, a long body, and a tail. Maybe not a tail, maybe a, an appendage. It looked like a ten-foot-long humanoid centipede 
had a long snout and a whitish face. The rest of it was pitch black from laying in the coal. It might have been white. Who knows? And its eight arms were scurrying up a hill. It was like a giant, massive bug. It didn't quite have fingers. It had, like, claws that looked like fingers, but they were more like the snappers of a claw on a crab or a lobster. But thinner, not as thick, not as strong-looking, more for grasping than for crushing. They started one by one realizing I was looking past them, and everybody started turning around, and immediately the officers withdrew their sidearms, and I said, okay, okay, just calm down. First of all, you know, by that time it had reached the top of the hill, and second of all, you're not going to get a good shot with a 38 revolver. Back then, officers didn't have 9mm. They had 38 snub-nosed revolvers, police guns, that were maybe not the best at 200 feet to 300 feet away on the side of a hill. It had crawled away. I said, well, we kind of know the direction it went. Let's try and get up there and follow it. Let's get a helicopter on it. Let's try to watch it. And let's keep an eye on this area. Let's set up a, some kind of a net, some kind of trap around that hole. If we can't get on it and capture it as it's traveling out at night, maybe we can capture it in a net when we get back. Because it's obviously hiding in that hole in the side of the hill. I'm still disturbed when I think about this. It didn't take long to find out that it had found a local lady's dog tied to a tree, even though we had instructed people to bring their dogs in or keep them in a garage. It drained the dog. The lady saw it happening when she heard the dog yelping in pain. She turned on floodlights she had installed. Her dog would still be alive if she had not installed strobe lights and instead put a doggy door in her garage. She chased the creature away, but this time it kept the animal, and it was dragging the animal with it. It was so hungry it didn't want to lose its prey. It would rear up on all but its back four legs and use four arms to carry something and it scurried like a centipede or a millipede it was the most strange gross aberrational creature and it had a long snout and eyes that were bulbous it almost looked like a human and a bug combined with its thin long arms but it ran on all eight when it was in trouble and the, the nose was just a snout, a long, spindly snout that it inserted into you and then bled you dry, like the stinger of a mosquito. We knew right where it was going. We had a set of traps set up to capture it, and our diligence paid off. It got tangled in a net and it set off several leg hold traps that we had set inside the entrance. It managed to rip all the traps loose 
one of its arms actually got torn off, and it pulled itself deep, deep into the hole. We shined a light on it, and the dog corpse was in there in front of it. It was trying to actually hide behind it, and it hissed, but not like a snake. It hissed like a bug blowing out air from its lungs. It was the most frightening, neolithic sound. Nothing like it. It roared out of the concave hole that it had dug for itself, like an echo chamber, and it was a fearsome sound. It was very frightening. We managed to loop one of the chains to the leg hold traps and started to pull the creature out. Because we were shining light on it, it obviously was hurting it. Eventually, after tearing another arm or leg from the creature loose, we finally got a hold of its main body. Without damaging it further, we pulled the entire creature out. It was strong, fiercely strong, but with the net and the traps tangled on it, we were able to pull it out and secure it to the ground, much in the way you would a 10 or 12 foot alligator. We wrapped it up in the netting, kept it as safe as we could, and removed the leg hold traps that were stuck on the remaining legs. Obviously, it had caused it great pain. We also gathered up the two damaged limbs and brought them with us. We loaded it up and took it to a local veterinarian, tried to get an x-ray of it, tried to take photos of it, tried to work with it. Before long, and under just the normal lights we used it, we have no idea exactly at this point what did it, but the creature expired. It just died. We don't know if capturing it stressed it. We don't know if the light we kept constantly shining on it was damaging it, maybe burned out its retina, burned out its brain somehow. Maybe its optical nerves were drawing the light in and it was damaging it. Maybe we killed it. Maybe the little bit of blood loss from losing its limbs was enough and it, maybe it was just ancient and we just killed it. We didn't know. We did find one odd thing, though. It was neither female nor male and it had a spot on its carapace for eggs. And that carapace was empty. It had recently, at least from appearances, released those eggs. Where they were, we had no idea, but we knew where to search. Capturing this paranormal creature was very disturbing and very sad. There is more to the story, but I have to tell you that next time. When we go on a search for the children of this creature. And that's a story all on its own. Till I talk to you next week, please try to stay safe, stay healthy. Obey the rules. Keep yourself out of harm's way. And above all, have a most blessed evening. Till I see you again. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huevo. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.